On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. In the early 2000s, filmmaker Gaspar Noé was no stranger to controversy. His debut film, I Stand Alone, had just been released a couple years previously in 1998 and had caught plenty of it with its themes of violence and nihilism, as well as a 30-second warning for audiences to flee the theater. However, he was ready for something new. While he had a passion project in mind, he needed to make rent money first. He had saw Chris Nolan's Memento and was inspired to film a movie in reverse, and then had an idea. Why don't we make this rape and revenge movie told backwards? From that moment, he had five weeks to do everything before they would start production and shooting. Luckily, Gaspar got France's it couple at the time, Vincent Cassell and his then-wife, Monica Bellucci, two-star. The film would go on to premiere in France in May of 2002 and also compete at the Cannes Film Festival that year for the coveted Palme d'Or. Maybe unsurprisingly, out of the 2,400 attendees at the Calm premiere, 200 walked out while the ones that remained sat in complete silence. Of course, we are talking about the famous and infamous 2002 film, Irreversible. So sit back and remember, like Pierre says, drink some water. This is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Hello! Hi there, friends. I'm Katie. And hi there. I'm Brittany. And um, this is episode 95? 95. Of the Grand House Girls podcast. And we are doing Irreversible this week. I picked it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> for the trauma. Um, but uh, how are you, Britt? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Busy? Busy. I know we say this every week. I usually go between busy and tired. Sometimes busy Mm -hmm. and tired. Um, But I I can't complain. What about you, Katie? How how have you been? I'm I'm doing okay. Just chilling. Gizmo's just sleeping. Um, Just life in general. Um, uh, We've got a lot of stuff coming up this week. It's almost our two-year anniversary. Yeah. I know I have some housekeeping. Do you have any housekeeping, Britt? I don't. I'm so sorry. I need to be better about that. I'm in the moment. I'm just like, yeah, cool, fun. Um, so I don't, but what <laughs> do you have? So um, so I did want to say that apparently my mic sounded weird last episode. Um, I think what happened is my Bluetooth headset started recording the audio instead of my microphone. Um, but also, we want to give a shout out to... And we might be saying your last name wrong, but Guy W. Gain the third, yay, um, and Ted Gagan um, for reaching out to us about we are still here. Y'all are so sweet. Thank you for liking the artwork, by the way. That means a lot to me because I'm always like, ooh, is this something that represents the movie from the filmmaker's perspective? And then you guys liked it. And Guy, which I'm gonna say IMDb failed us last week because Guy uh played Dagmar and he was sufficiently terrifying and sympathetic in that movie um but um he's really cool 
And he also worked on uh, an episode of House of Cards. Yeah. Where they were doing, like, he does, like, Civil War reenactments, which we're from the South, so that's uh, something that people do quite a lot of down here. But he's really cool. He and is. Um, we were chatting today, and um, that, you, thank you for reaching out, both of you. That was really, really cool. And we're still, we're hoping, we're holding out hope that Guy may come on as a, on a future episode as a guest. Mm-hmm. So, Guy, if you listen. You're we, always welcome. We want you to. Please, please do. So, yes. we are so excited. But like Katie said, and I'll echo, he is incredibly sweet and incredibly kind. And it. It makes yes. us fangirl a little bit when uh, <laughs> when people uh, oh, from these yeah. amazing movies reach out to us. So, and I, I don't know what it is about the last couple weeks, but um, it's been like, oh my god, it's it's y'all. We love indie filmmakers because we actually get feedback from you guys, mm-hmm. and y'all are so much more active. I feel like. Oh, also, I we do want to announce that Clay Zombies. Yes, that we. Um, covered with Jake, the director, Jake Jolly, um, in October, for Spooptober last year. It is now available on Blu-ray, and they also have a comic book based on the movie, so you can purchase it at clayzombies.com. And I don't know if it made it on the Blu-ray, but I know that we did have a, a quote, a review quote on their trailer, so it might have our quote on it. I don't know. I did not ask but oh yeah them yeah because jake is also like the absolute best like he is a sweetheart and he's amazing and we love him so yeah so we're really excited uh for our our friend jake and clay zombies and just please go go support indie filmmakers and buy yourself a copy you and then have like a have like a movie night and invite some friends over and eat some popcorn it'll be a great time so yes (laughs) yes um, also, in bad news, but just in case y'all were wondering, um, apparently Alabama, after we were talking about stuff last week, decided to pass their own Don't Say Gay bill. Aww. So I'm just going to say here, gay, 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 I'm really hoping it gets repealed. I mean, it's, I'm just, and Governor Meemaw has officially lost my vote, so. Yeah. It's gone. Bye. It's sad. Bye, Felicia. We, we are very backwards. And there is, like, very forward-thinking people that live in the South, but you wouldn't know there about There are. You wouldn't know about us because we get uh, we get overtaken by the bad people are making news. So that's a... I mean, it's true. It thing, makes me want to so. not live in this state anymore. And then I'm just like, is it better in other states? I don't really know. But anyways, just better- in case y'all are wondering, yes, gay, LGBTQ+, Listeners, we support you. We love you. Yeah. It also it is better, but more expensive. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real. Why we really live in the south? That is it's true. A lot cheaper to live. It is here, really so. cheap. <laughs> it is really cheap here. Anyways, sorry. I know we don't want to get too political, but I feel like human rights is not too yeah. political. No, I, I agree like, with that. I agree you know. with that. Anyone that asks is my opinion. That's what I'm just like. Uh, I believe in peace and love and human rights. So, yeah. Anyways, so that's been fun. So moving off of politics, because ugh, so messy. Um, did you watch anything other than this week's movie this weekend? Okay, so no movies. Uh, because I've been incredibly, incredibly busy. But you will be happy to know, ma'am. Um, so I am. 
I also have been watching Outlander every week because they are on season six and they've just been renewed for Tight. season seven. Um, oh my god, how yeah. much more can there be to this story? Well, <laughs> I just like uh, so, I'm behind on it though. So there, uh, there's nine books out, and the tenth book will be the last because she's always planned it as a ten book series. Uh, and every season does follow a book. But you'll be happy to oh, know no. I also finished Bridgerton. So, oh, did you love it? Did you hate it? Um. So I, I'm, this isn't really a complaint. There is a lot less sex this season than there is mm-hmm. in the first season. But I'm not complaining because I kind of like that slow build up personally. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say it's on par with a lot of romance novels too, but a lot of them start out with the whole tete-a-tete of will they, won't they, and that's kind of how the second season of Bridgerton was. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up watching, I forgot to mention this last week, I ended up watching a couple of documentaries, including, have you seen Misha and the Wolves? I heard of it, but I've never seen it, uh-uh. I, I won't spoil it for anyone, because it would spoil the whole plot of the movie. Also... The story is out there, so don't look it up before you watch the documentary. It's on Netflix. But it's one of those documentaries where, like, you think it's going one way, and then it takes a left turn, and it takes another left turn. And by the end, you're like, whose side am I on? I don't even know. Like, is everybody a villain, or is nobody a villain? It's it's just a, it's it's an interesting watch, though. I will say it keeps your attention, for sure. But I also started Tokyo Vice on HBO Max, oh. and I watched the first three episodes... And I really like it. Um, it's got Ken Watanabe, who I've been in love with since Memoirs of a Geisha. And then also Ansel Elgort mm-hmm. is the other main character. And then, and I'm blanking on her name, but the girl who played Sid in Legion. Uh, also, Ella Rump from Raw, the sister from Raw. Oh, yeah, is in yeah, it. yeah. So I, it's, I've had my, like, feelers out ever since I heard about it. And it's based on a true story of a journalist who, an American journalist working in Tokyo in the late 90s, getting stories about uh, the Yakuza. So it's cool. But yeah. So yeah, that's what I was watching. I didn't get to watch any other movies because the movies that I want to see right now are either about to come out in theaters or are in theaters. Yeah. Although by that. the time this comes out, X will be streaming finally, so. Yay! Woo, can finally see X. And Even though Bat- it won't be in theaters, but that's okay. And the Batman is coming to HBO next week, too, if yes! I'm not Yeah, The Batman's so. coming on the 18th, so. Mm, yes, I'm excited about that. I can watch that. the Batman. And I can finally understand why the Ave Maria TikTok trend is going on. Anyways, okay, we're going to stop talking about that. And we are going to move on to the movie. So... Before we get even into the background of it, I do want to give a warning, which we did before. This movie has a lot of stuff in it that personally I struggle with figuring out if it's responsible to have it in there or not. So would we like to say what I would consider the four like trigger warnings possibly for this film? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. uh, So four possible trigger warnings. So... There is a a derogatory slang word for a gay man that is said multiple times. It's the one that begins with the letter F. There is a very brutalizing uh, scene that happens. It's a beating scene uh, where a Mm -hmm. head is smashed in and the camera does not pan away. There is a very... 
It was computer generated yes. and a dummy, though. Yes, so. it was, but it, no one was it harmed. It's very. It's pretty graphic. It's, pre- it's very graphic. Um, there's a nine minute rape scene that happens completely in the smack middle of the movie, and then last mm-hmm. there is a strobing effect at the very end that can cause yes. seizures. And yes, people. so yes, even with all of that, I feel like it is an important film that if you are interested in filmmaking. It is important to watch and see the filmmaking, the way the film is made. Oh, okay. So, where do you want to start? I guess we should start with the writer and director (laughs) of this movie. Yes. So. Uh, Who is Gaspar Noé, which we, he did Climax as well, Mm -hmm. which we covered one of our very first episodes, Um, and as we mentioned in the beginning, I Stand Alone, which I have not watched yet, but is apparently, I know the subject matter of the film because it's kind of spoiled for you in the beginning of this movie. Um, Because this movie, I Stand Alone and Enter the Void all have a shared universe Mm -hmm. thematically, which is interesting. Um, He also did Love, which is very infamous, which we talked about when we did Climax. And his newest movie, Vortex. Oh, in Lux Eterna, which is like an experimental art film, which I've heard very middling reviews about. They're like, I mean, it looks cool, but I think everyone's like, it's not really a film. It's more of like an art project. But Vortex stars Dario Argento, and it's going to release on May 6th of this year in the U.S. for a wide release. But yeah, he's a French based Argentinian director and he is associated with the cinema du corps or cinema of the body which I don't think we said this in climax so that's why I found this interesting according to Tim Palmer share which I forgot to write who Tim Palmer is but I'm sure he's like someone in that realm uh share an attenuated use of narrative generally assaulting and often in illegible cinematography, confrontational subject material, a treatment of sexual behavior as violent rather than mutually intimate, and a pervasive sense of social nihilism or despair. Which I think covers this movie. Yeah. I think covers so. uh, all of the it, climax, and then everything <laughs> I've read about by him covers, yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. But yeah, I also found it cool that the cinematographer is the same cinematographer from Climax and Love, uh, Benoit Deby, mm-hmm. Deby, Deby. He's French, so I hope I am not mispronouncing your name. Um, he also did Spring Breakers and The Sisters Brothers, and um, this was his first film with Gaspar, so or Gaspar, which I found was really cool. Did you did you look up the music? Yes, I did. I didn't know if you were about to elaborate on that or not, but I thought that was really cool myself. <laughs> well. The name to me didn't ring a bell until I Googled him. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm a big fan of this person. Do you want to share it? Yeah. So it's Thomas, and I'm making sure I have the name right. Is it Bangalater? 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 This is Bangalter. Bangalter? Bangalter? That's a cool name. Sorry, that's a real American way. Bangalter. Bangalter. Who who is one half of Daft Punk? Yeah, Silver Helmet. Yeah, it's a Silver Helmet. It's That's still, Silver like Helmet. I still don't remember which one is Daft and which one is Punk. We, but Silver <laughs> Helmet. And in my head, I'm like, <laughs> we go all night to Kentucky. That's all I like. 
It's like not even the right lyrics. Cool. He it also cool. did music for Enter the Void, too. Yeah. So. Into it's the cool. Void. You know what's interesting? I had a, a co-worker confide in me that they watched Into the Void while high. And uh, they were like, I mean, it, it's not a good movie. To, they are like, it was really messing me up, man. And I was like, you know, r- reading about Into the Void, I could see why it would mess you up. Even if you weren't high, much uh, less if you were high. <laughs> I mean, I had a hard time getting through climax, yeah. and I was not. I think I drank some wine the first time I watched it, but I was pretty sober the second time. This movie also, talking of sound, so they use this drum beat from the composer and a lot of techno music at the beginning, but they also do the twenty-seven hertz. What is it? They use the high frequency sound that, okay, I did actually listen to this on YouTube. I found a recording of this on, um, what is the, it's a YouTube channel, um, Spikima, Spikima movies on YouTube. They do a lot of, um, horror movies. They, when they did their review of Irreversible, um, they actually isolated that sound and you know what it did? You, have you listened to it by itself? No, I haven't. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. I highly encourage people to go listen to it. Um, because for me, and this is when I was wearing it, I was wearing headphones listening to this, it makes my ears pulse. Yeah. Oh. And it's supposed to be like the same frequency as an earthquake. So it makes, but I don't feel like that when I'm watching the movie, but when I have headphones in. It did make me feel like my ears were pulsing. But not like in a painful way, in a just a weird way. Yeah. So employing sound is a weird thing about this movie because it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Now, it's only used for the first 30 minutes. And after, I think, I think it's before the rape sequence. Yeah. It stops. It might go through that scene. Um. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's all to do with the club, or at least that's how it felt to me. They do the weird thing with the camera. And it also, it feels like the sound feels like a yo-yo to me. I don't know if that's a weird... That's that's the other sound. Yeah. So there's the there's the earthquake sound, and then there's the yo-yoing sound, which is like a drum thing that's going... Yeah, that sound. Yep. And that... So they're using both of those and techno music, and it's just layered upon layer of uncomfortable sounds. Which, again, I don't feel it when I watch his movies, because they did the same thing in Climax with the 27 Hertz thing. I didn't feel anything watching it without headphones. But when I put headphones on and listened to that sound, it did make me feel uncomfortable. So, proceed with caution. Maybe don't watch it with headphones, unless you want to get the full Gaspar Noé experience. Yeah. I guess. Was there anything I missed I didn't know if you want to give a little bit of background into this movie. Sure. So it's very, very interesting. So he did I Stand Alone, like we talked about, that's his debut film. Mm-hmm. And then he he wanted to do like essentially like a passion project. And I believe the passion project did end up being Enter the Void, which was his third film. But he knew that film was going to be too expensive to make. So he's like, oh, shit, I need more funds. So he actually went up to Vincent in a club at like 5 a.m. And there's a great interview. It's um, on For W Magazine, I think. It's like it's a black and white Mm -hmm. five minute interview with Vincent. But um, Vincent Cassell, who plays Marcus. But he's like, yeah, you know, uh, he's like, 
Gaspar came up to me in the club at like 5 a.m. and was like, he was like, hey, would you and your wife be interested in doing a movie with real real sex scenes? And, like, Vincent was like, what do you mean by real sex scenes? He's like, real sex scenes. And he's like, no. But then he went home and told Monica, uh, his wife who plays Alex in the movie, and he was like, Gaspar came up to me and asked if we wanted to do a movie and do real sex scenes. And she's like, and what did you say? And he's like, no. And she's like, why did you say no? So they started talking to Gaspar about doing a movie which would have actually simulated sex scenes in it and they kind of went back and forth and they're like you know we just don't know if we feel as comfortable and so and then he wanted to also he was like okay well let's try to make a remake of I think Thomas Pinter's play Betrayal and then they could oh god yeah. Pinter pauses yes and then they couldn't get the rights to that so they were like okay we're oh. mixing this and then he was like, wait, he saw Memento, and he was thinking Betrayal, because the first adaptation, Betrayal, was backwards. He was like, okay, how about we do this movie, and we'll make it a rape revenge movie told backwards. So, it's like, this movie had many different births before it came to the place where it was like, oh, shit, we're going to do this. Meanwhile, he had already mm-hmm. told producers, he was like, hey, I got Vincent... <laughs> Got Vincent and Monica, we're gonna do this movie. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, like, so. Definitely. So then he. They're definitely on board. They're definitely on board. So he had 15 pages, and the movie isn't completely improv, but basically he took the 15 scenes and was like, loosely, this is what's going on in mm-hmm. these scenes. He did that with Climax, though, too. Yeah. And I will say, so he ended up doing also his. Uh, unsimulated sex film that was love so love does actually have yep. real people screwing if that's something y'all are interested in so. <laughs> however i've heard it's like even the actors and i think even gaspar they were all kind of like eh it's okay yeah <laughs> like he's not super proud of it also they filmed it in 3d so if you want to feel like the main actor is uh coming all over your face um that is one way to do that yeah if you want to watch it in 3d yep i'm okay yeah that's like yeah i'm i'm okay mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good Yay. but thank you <laughs> maybe one day oh and real quick sorry guys i said thomas but it's, Her- <laughs> it's harold pinters the pinter pause harold pinters sorry about that but that's just what i wanted to say i just thought it was really funny that he literally pr- approached the the brad pitt of prompts back in the day and was like hey do you want to make a movie where you just have sex with your wife because i want to make that movie (laughs) so but yeah so i gotta give it to gaspar he he has some balls for sure so (laughs) he has has some very large balls he may want to get them checked by a doctor it may be an issue (laughs) (laughs) so i would say we're ready for the synopsis yes um so right after the synopsis we're going to go into spoilers y'all um so that's what I'm gonna call, and we're gonna try to. I'm gonna try to speed through it because I don't think what happens is as important as like the meaning behind things. So, a synopsis, if you will. In reverse chronological order, we follow Alex, her boyfriend Marcus, and her former lover Pierre as the night takes a violent turn in the streets of Paris. A oh, Paris. Paris. Yes. Sorry. It's not a happy movie, so I feel like just Paris. Paris. Um, so, yeah, spoilers. Spoilers. Yes. Spoilers. <laughs> so, we're going to tell it in reverse chronological order like the movie is, which is an important aspect of this. Um, 
so starting with the first scene and of course Britt will get to will interject with the actors and then yes we'll give you some other fun facts bt dubs did this music automatically mm-hmm. remind you of the shining like as soon as the credits yeah, started rolling the shining i just mm-hmm. was like oh overlook Hotel. Well, also the credits move mm-hmm. um in a counterclockwise motion as does the camera in between scenes which is like you know turning back time which is yeah thematic it is uh there's a lot of interesting camera work in this movie um, the first scene that we are shown is straight after i stand alone the main character who we never know his name yes. apparently in all the movies he's in Us. um is called the butcher yes and he is played by philippe philippe nahan who passed away very recently in 2020 from an illness made oh, that's depressing. yeah uh, an illness made more complicated by covid19 uh, he had hmm. a very long career. He was in La Haine. He was in that yes. movie with Vincent Cassell, I Stand Alone, Brotherhood of the Wolf, High Tension, another French horror yep. film, and War Horse, just to yep. name a few. So I love War Horse, mm-hmm. but I've only seen the play. It made me cry my eyes out really hard. I've never cried that hard in a play before in my entire oh. life. I I grew up near horses. And the thing about War Horse is they make the horse puppets breathe, so it really feels like a real horse. And they are, like, life-size. And, you know, it's War Horse. And also, there were children in the production. It was a matinee performance, and some ladies thought it would be good to bring, like, their under 10-year-old children to a play called War Horse. And I'm crying because the horses are dying. And then there were, like, babies around me crying. I was like, why would you bring your kid to a show where the word war is the first word? Anyways, it's a fabulous show. Anyways, War Horse. So, The Butcher, who was featured in I Stand Alone, which is apparently very disturbing, um, because he's drunk, he's talking with his friend. I was very confused until the second part, what was going on, because he's like, I thought he was naked, but I think he is wearing boxers. Mm. And then his friend, they're both drinking and talking about why they were in jail for different reasons. And he's like, I had sex with my daughter. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, That's disgusting, but all right. Um, Disgusting. But then they're like, oh, what's that commotion outside? And then we reverse chronological order. Tick tock, tick tock the clock. Back to the next scene, scene two. Which is when the police are arresting Pierre. Yes. And, uh, who, you go on. I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna let you say who he's played by. Yes, okay. So, it's, uh, Abut Dupontel is Pierre, and he's an actor, film director, and screenwriter. He directed and wrote mm-hmm. and starred in the 1996 film Bernie, but he also wrote and directed Nine Months Stretch, See You Up There, and Bye Bye Morons. Um, and starred in films such as Love Me No More, Intimate Enemies, and Socks Disease. So, yeah, he has a pretty lucrative film career, too. So He goes, I really liked him in this movie. I did, too. I thought he was great. 
Um, so he's being arrested, and they're also loading Marcus, who's played by Vincent Cassell. Yes. Which, have we already said his credits uh, we, at the beginning? Because I had to walk away for no, a second when you were talking about No, him. I didn't say his his credits, but I can go for it real quick. So uh, he is actually an internationally known actor, and I yes. it freaked me out because I was like, holy shit, he's her, he's her teacher in Black Swan, and Natalie Portman Black yeah. Swan. He's the teacher, and yeah. he's, he's kind of a fucking creep in that movie. So I was like, oh my god, asshole. Yes. Um, not not the actor, the character. Yeah, no, the act, Vincent Cassell seems like he's such a, like an educated, down-to-earth man. Um, so he's received two Caesar Award nominations for La Haine, uh, which was like his kind of breakthrough role. And I love what he said. He's so fucking real. So he did this interview, and he was like, yeah, you know, La Haine is literally about kids getting shot, and here we are drinking champagne at cons. And I was like, oh, you're a real man. Um but he has since gone on to do Oceans 12 and Oceans like 13. Ricky Gervais. Oh, my God, yes. Ricky Gervais, if you, the last time he hosted the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. people have just edited all the digs he did, and it's fucking amazing. I fucking love Ricky Gervais. He's, because he makes a joke, he's like, just try, he's like, oh, just pretending you don't see something at, to survive. And he said, you know, like, working for Harvey uh, Weinstein, oh. and then all of these good people go, oh, and he's like, you did it! Don't you say anything! You did it! And I was like, oh my god, I love Ricky Gervais. Yeah. But yeah, very similar to Ricky Gervais. You gotta tell it like it Tells is. Tells it like it is. Yes. Uh, he also played real French bank robber, uh, it's J- J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, is that Joaquis? Joaquis Marcin? Jock. Wa- Jocks? Jock Marcin? J-A-C-Q-U-E-S? Mm-hmm. Jock. Okay. Jacques Mossin. Like Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau, yes. Jacques Mossin and Mossin Killer Instinct and Mossin Public Emily, Enemy Number One. And he was also recently in Westworld. So, like, he's, he, he, yeah, he's. Also. Yes. Okay, you tell me what also. He was in Elizabeth, too, ah. as a French. Per- I don't remember his part, but I have seen that movie. But I didn't realize that he is the voice of Monsieur Hood yes. in Shrek. Yes. The French Robin Hood. That's awesome. I was like, ah, I love them her, and then they dance. It's great. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, he's great. Oh, but so he plays Marcus. Marcus is being loaded into an ambulance, and we overhear two men, which we can save them when we know more about them, screaming at them, insulting them, and revealing that the man they just killed was not Latenia. Latenia, which means the tapeworm. Yep. Um, at all, and he was just standing next to him, and you're like, oh, what the hell? And then we go back. We go back again. And by the way, in between scenes, when they go back, the camera is spinning, and it's going in and out of focus to the rhythm of a heartbeat in a lot of scenes. Yeah. So it's very, like, it's very, like, um, what am I trying to say? Not intrusive, but it's it's immersive. Yeah. And... You feel, I felt sick because the camera movement the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my god, this is a lot. Fun fact. But it makes sense. Fun fact, Gaspar was also doing a lot of cocaine when he was doing the camera work. Yes. So. Yes. I, I oh yeah, because he did most of it. Yeah. He He and his cinematographer, like, there were only two of them. And while there's only one scene that they never cut at, at all, um that's not edited like that is a long take um all of the scenes are made to look like long takes even though they're like hundreds of little sequences put together 
but like it's exhaustive yeah. to think about how how choreographed that is but then this man also made climax and that's a super choreographed movie as well this is definitely not as smoothly done as climax but you can see where he's like getting his inspiration with this film to do i think climax is a little bit of a smoother made film even though it's also sickening but in a more entertaining way in some anyways um so scene three marcus and pierre go to this club called the rectum um which i don't know if it's based on a real club in france if you were in paris in 2001 2002 please let us know because i don't know i've never been to paris um but it's a gay bdsm club for strictly men it seems like and again in america these things do exist in america i don't think they're as open I do think France is much more open and Europe in general sexually. So, but it seems like this is more underground. Like, it doesn't seem like this is a very sanctioned club. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, and they they make their way through this, like, cacophony of rough sex and techno beats searching for this man. And it is just, like, there's just people having sex. There's people, like, using electricity and like i don't again and candle wax and, we and just stuff like that candle wax yeah. and stuff which is like i mean uh, here's the responsibility part they're also like while they're looking for him like they're just dropping the f slur all over the place and like i'm like okay do we have to but also when you go backwards you understand i, I think what they're trying to do is show that the thing that has happened to make them act this way has turned them into violent people that they would not have been had this happen, or it's awakened something violent inside of well, them. Well, I will s- the the Marcus Marcus especially, yeah, I was, and then Pierre. In Pierre's defense, Pierre, this whole first sequence while we're in the club looking, he is begging Marcus to leave. Yes, begging him. It's like, let's just go see Alex. Let's go see Alex. Yeah. But you don't know who Alex is yet. Yeah, but. So you actually feel like I felt watching it even the first and second time felt so bad for Pierre because Pierre is like mm-hmm. trying to get out and it's like Marcus is going even further into the lion's den at this point. Yeah, so Marcus is running through this club. Oh, and Gasper. Okay, <laughs> do you want to give the Dario Argento quote for this or that whole situation? Because Dario Argento, it seems, was a bit of a um, mentor yes. to Gaspar. And he is in his latest movie um, as an actor, which I'm like, I want to see Dario Argento act. That's pretty cool. Um, He, I guess he saw the first version of this scene and he said, "Um, I think this might come off a little homophobic. Yeah. Which I agree. I, I don't think Gaspar is homophobic from all I have read and listened to him. He seems to be very inclusive with his casting. And I do think in Climax, everything seems very non-judgmental. Like, because everybody's yeah. having a terrible time. But yeah. I don't think he thought it through when he filmed this sequence. And thank God Dario pointed it out to him. But I don't know if it really fixes it. But, Britt, you go ahead and read the quote. Cause it's hilarious. So, Oh, my God. Because, yeah, basically Dario was like, you're not a part of this community. And you're you're saying things about this community. And you don't want to do this. It's going to turn out bad for you. So, 
Gaspar was like, how do I save my ass in such a situation? So to quote, so I had an idea, and we went Jeez. back to the club, and I added a small image of me masturbating as part of the club. It was stupid. But still, it's there. Yeah, it, it was stupid, but still everybody noticed that I was part of the club, so I could not be homophobic, homophobic while being excited while in the club. <laughs> Which kind of makes me, it's kind of like the I can't be racist because I have black friends kind of thing. I'm like, is it Gaspar? But you know what? He said, you, I don't it, know. It's really interesting because he's like, I can't be homophobic because I was excited in the club. But then he was like, but then I was having a problem getting an erection. And I was like, didn't you just defeat Oh, God. Didn't you have a. <laughs> he said, he literally says, my camera assistant, my assistant director, they were laughing um, because I was <laughs> I had problems having a proper erection. <laughs> Dear God. Oh, guess I'm what? sorry. Like, I don't think he's... I think he just puts his foot in his mouth, too, a lot. Which, I do the same thing. I don't think... I don't think he's consciously homophobic. Let's put it that way. But I do find it weird that, like... Why was it a... Why was it a specifically gay club? Yeah. Do you think that only men have BDSM? Is it... That's what I'm like. I'm like, I don't know exactly where the... Well, ignorance is coming from. Well, I think it's an ignorant thing and not so much a hateful thing, but it's still just uncomfortable to me. Yeah, and I also, I, I so I will say as a disclaimer, I love Vincent Cassell in the interviews I've read and watched with him, but he did say one thing in an interview that kind of struck me wrong, and it's, he said this is a pro-female movie because the purest thing in the movie is the woman. And I don't think that makes okay. this a pro-female movie. Like, uh, I, I I would disagree with that statement. Uh, and as we get further into the movie, you'll see more blatantly why I disagree with that statement. I certainly don't think the movie is anti-female, but I also don't think it's pro-female. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's male or female. I think it's a horrible thing happening to a person. Yeah. One of them happens to be a woman. The other two happen to be a man. I don't think gender comes into it yeah. as much as... I think people probably want it to. I don't think it was conscious. Again, it's a conscious thing. He was alluding to the men in the movie are animals, but I don't like that idea either because, once again, it's a slippery slope, but it feels like it's, even if it's not an intentional statement, it feels like it's trying to cover up the tracks of maybe the initial scenes in the club were not fought out completely. Yeah. It's, like, sloppy and just kind of... I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. This is the part that, and no one, I feel like not that many people talk about this part. And this is the part that was most shocking to me because I knew about the rape sequence and I knew about the, what's about, what we're about to cover. Yeah. um, Which is the fire extinguisher sequence. But like, nobody like talks about like the intention behind where this is placed and all the language used. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's kind of like, and I'm telling Britt, it kind of reminds me of, like, Quentin Tarantino using the N-word every other line for Django, which I, I get the reasoning behind it, but I found the repetitive nature of it unnecessary, in my opinion. Well, I think it's also, even know. speaking as straight white women, if you're triggered by a word, how does how do gay audiences or how do black audience members feel when they hear it consistently like over and over again so i think that's and that's the thing i'm also like i'm hesitant to say it because i'm like 
I am a straight cisgendered yeah. white lady, so like take everything I say with a grain of salt, but like, please give us feedback. Cause I'm always like, I don't know. And I think it's an individual thing too. Yeah. Because I don't think every, nobody is the same as anyone else. Um, even if you are from the same community, same background, you're all going to have different life experiences. And some people may not be as offended by some language as other people are. So, you know, context is a big part of this. So anyways, the responsibility of the director to use the language, I found it a little irresponsible, but not like, I don't, I, again, I don't think he's trying to be homophobic or hateful. I just don't think he thought it through. Also, he was doing a lot of cocaine, but I also don't want to excuse that because I don't know. It's, I don't think this scene would be in this movie if it was made today, for sure. Yeah. Or I would hope it would be done in a more responsible, less vaguely homophobic way yeah in my opinion but anyways uh that being said they find two men who are pointed out to be tenya and or tenya 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 i think is how they say it um one of whom marcus attacks thinking it's tenya it's not as we found out in the scene before um and the man breaks marcus's arm and is about to says he's about to rape him so pierre at first i was like okay good pierre got him off of him with a fire extinguisher but then rage takes over pierre who has been the calm one up until this point and he crushes his face in with a fire extinguisher and they never cut away and it's just a bloody pulp of a face and they actually did use a dummy originally, and it looked kind of fake, so they went over the dummy with CGI. They used CGI in this scene and one other scene, um, which I found interesting. It's, I mean, some people say they can't get through this scene. I don't know if it's worse than anything else I've seen, but it is pretty You rough. know, the worst for me was actually watching Marcus get his arm broken because it's so fluid, yeah. and it just, like, flicks and I mean, I've saw like people really get their arm broken in real life, and it purposely captured how it like it flopped. And that was like I I did kind of scream out loud because I wasn't expecting it. I knew I knew the fire extinguisher scene was coming because I read about it when I was reading about infamous movies, but I didn't know about yeah. the arm scene. <laughs> and it is it's rough. It's 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 rough. It's not fun. Yeah. So, and the weird thing is, like, everyone's like cheering them on. Yeah. So, and one guy's even masturbating weird. to it because he's like, "Yeah, fuck him." Yeah. And he starts to pull out his penis yeah. and rub it furiously. So, like, <laughs> it's almost like a snuff film club. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't call this even a BDSM club. This is like a snuff club. I feel like. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just this one night. I don't know. That's why, like, I'm like, what is the intention? Yeah. Gaspar? Yeah, it's a little bit, and that's where. A lot, Big. a few, a lot of the reviews I came across that had an issue and thought it was homophobic wasn't really. It wasn't even the constant dropping of the f word. It was the whole here's these group of men who, you know, we are led to believe identify as gay men, and they're watching such violent things happen and unfold in front of them, and none of them do anything to stop it. And Katie had mentioned when I brought this up, she's like, "Well, they, you know, they may all be under the influence of drugs, but it's like." We don't know that for sure, 
and we don't right. it, it, we don't really understand everything that's going on in this scene. Just by the end of it, we know there is a person dead with their face crushed in. But yes, so that's pretty terrifying. That happens. And then again, we go backwards with the pulsing music and the rotating camera. Scene four. We see Marcus and Pierre in a stolen taxi. Pierre is, like, begging Marcus to just, like, let's go see Alex. And Marcus gets frustrated and smashes in the cab windows. Yeah. It's a very short scene. Then we go back again to Marcus and Pierre hailing said taxi. And Marcus assaults the cab driver, says racial slurs to the cab driver. And throws him out of the car and steals the cab. Oh, and this is, I did want to point it out, because it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes to me. So, once again, Marcus is, like, fucking going crazy. And Pierre sits in the back seat, and he goes, Alex would be so ashamed. Alex would be so ashamed. It's like... Yeah. It literally, it broke my heart the first time watching it, but the second time knowing who Alex was to these men, it hurt even worse. Or is who she who is. Who she is. is who she is, yes. Thank you for the correction. Yes, who she is. She is. So Alex does not die. Yeah. Just so y'all know. Yes. At least not in this movie. And I don't think because originally they actually mm-hmm. did have a scene of her in the hospital. Um, in between these scenes. But they cut it out because they thought it okay. was too much. They didn't want to introduce her like that. They wanted to introduce her when they first see her after the aftermath um so the next scene is scene six and we see marcus and pierre and two men track down a person named concha concha was is uh played by victoria jaramillo uh she was also wendy in the 2015 short the thingy and uh which she also wrote and she also wrote the 2018 short harsh so those were her only other two yeah, so i had credits. down two um uh, she is uh, Tinya's last victim. And at first, she... I mean, it's very obvious, like, she and the other women they talk to are most likely sex workers. Um, they, at first, refuse to talk to them. But then Marcus threatens her with a broke, piece of broken glass. And she says, yes, Tinya is a pimp and he's an asshole, rapist, and she uh, tells them that they can find him at Rectum. Um, also, like, I guess originally they have uh, Concha's legal name, which is a more male name. And Concha mm-hmm. is a transgender woman who has not had bottom surgery yet. And so to prove to them she is the person they're looking for, she, like, whips out her penis. Um, no, like, she yeah. doesn't do it in a graphic way. But the camera does pan down. I was like, I don't, I don't know if that was necessary, Gaspar. But okay, maybe it was. I don't know. That's what this, I was like. Whose choice was that? Yeah, this scene really bothered me. Also, because the violence towards her t- intensifies yes. after that. Yeah, it's like too. they get meaner so. and rougher with her when they find out she's transgender. And again, I do think that Gaspar is showing that these men have become less than who they should like less than ideal people like monsters almost because of their rage because of what has happened to someone they love i think that's what his intention is but it doesn't make the homophobia the transphobia and the violence towards women and transgender people 
um, transgender women. I was just trying in general. Violence towards anybody, it doesn't make it any easier to, like, sit through. And I'm just like, ah! Yeah, I think and so. And he's like, he's I trying agree to be like, that. you know, this is life, this happens in real life. Like, that is his whole point with this movie. But it doesn't make it any easier to sit through. And it really bothered me. Because also, transgender women are, right now, one of the most um, mm-hmm. often victims of um, violence and especially homicide, at least in the United States. It is ridiculous how often transgender women are yes. murdered, and it is a huge problem that people, society, everybody needs to fix because it's fucked up. But go ahead, I'm sorry. And I do, I know you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. And I do have to give credit to Pierre again as a fictional character because in the scene before with the cabbie, he mm-hmm. asks the cabbie, he's like, how much should I owe you? How much should I owe you? And so it's like, Marcus is the one, like, yes. flipping the fuck out. And yes, he is Marcus's, like, um, friend. He is with Marcus during these scenes, but he's constantly the one that's trying to protect yes. the people that and are in the middle of He Marcus does try to protect day. her. Yes, and he does it too. Yeah, he does. He puts himself between her and the yes. three other men. And it's like, if you touch a head on her head, her, a hair on her head, I will not pay you. So he, I do have a lot of respect yes. for Pierre in this film, despite what happens. But even then, it's arguable when he bashes the guy's head in, he was about to rape Marcus. So did he go a little overboard? Yes. But was he protecting his was friend? Was he provoked? Also, yes. yes. So, so Yeah. Pierre's yes. definitely the hero. No, they're not. Neither one of his hero. But if, if there is a hero in this yeah, movie, not it's real, Pierre. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I like Pierre the yes. most. Um, but so I'm going to kind Me of include too. scene seven and eight together. Oh, by the way, they do get their asses whooped by uh, Concha's fellow sex workers who throw rocks at them like badass yes. bitches. Yay. Um, yes. Those are complimentary bitches, by the way. Um fuck being good i'm a bad bitch <laughs> the whitest way to say that but anyways um scene seven and eight um are pierre and marcus discover that alex is alive but brutally beaten and raped and is now comatose and they see her come out of the tunnel as they're coming out of a party they are interviewed by police they say we only waited 15 minutes before leaving right after her Pierre is, like, in shock. He can barely answer the police officer's questions. Um, And they are, you know, obviously really distraught. And we see two men, Maraud, who's Maraud Kima, and Laid, who's played by Laid Halal. I don't see any, like, credits on theirs. So I think maybe this was one of their only movies. Um, They, but, and obviously they have their own first name. So probably they're just like, you want to do this movie? Come on to this movie. Um, they claim to know the name of the witness, which is eventually Concha, and they're going to help them get the person, like, get revenge on whoever did this to Alex for a fee. Um, and I don't know, the Wikipedia article is like, street thugs! And I'm like, I don't know that they're street thugs. I think maybe they are enforcers, but I I don't, I don't want to just call someone a street thug just because... They will help you get revenge for money. Maybe they're just hitmen. Come on. Um, but Marcus also, Pierre yeah. remarks that Marcus is still high on drugs and too angry. And he's like, no, no, we should go see Alex. Like, in the next scene. Yeah, which, 
it's not an excuse, but it also does display more why his behavior is more erratic yes, yes. than Pierre's and behavior. That's a big thing with Marcus so. is he is all reaction and no forethought at all. And it's kind yeah. of true in the entire movie, even before it gets to this point. Um, but the next scene is the worst scene. Is it the worst scene I don't know. It's certainly the hardest one to watch. How do you feel? Is it uh, is it yeah. worse than I will say the one saving grace is because I've heard about this movie for years and years and years and there was an infamous rape scene and honestly it was yeah. one of the reasons I never really wanted to watch the movie. Um so I will say I did build it up mm-hmm. bigger in my head. It's still absolutely awful. Um, but because I heard about it so much, it wasn't, thank God, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but it's still yes. pretty and I awful. felt similarly, although I will say the second time I watched it was harder for me for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but it was definitely more difficult to sit through the second time around. Um, maybe because I knew what was going to happen. Yes. And I knew... It, it, it does stretch on for a very long amount of time. It is nine minutes. Um, which is a lot of movie time. It but is it a, also is yeah, very is. interestingly shot, too. And I will say the way that the, the scene is shot is, is from Alex's point of view. And Gaspar said he did that specifically because he wants the audience to side with the victim and not the assaulter. He's like, I, no, the assailant is wrong and filming from the ground level looking up where Alex's position for most of the scene was purposefully done so you sympathize with her. Which, I mean, what monster isn't going to sympathize with her, yeah. honestly? But... And see, I read a slightly different, because when me and Taylor watched this, I literally said, I said, it's very interesting that the camera angle remains stationary the whole time, when every other time it's like rapidly, it's moving with the violence. And I read that he said he had initially moved the camera around there in the scene, but felt like he was a willing participant in the rape, which is why he decided to instead keep it stationary which to me makes very much sense because in the fire extinguisher scene the camera does move like the camera is almost moving with the extinguisher as it's bashing ahead in and i could understand that point of view too that if the camera had moved around it would be almost like maybe his friend was filming the rape or something of that nature so i thought that was very interesting which i like that you read that that I do, I do like that. I think both are right. I think he's, he was saying the angle from which yeah. he filmed, so he could have been moving the camera around mm-hmm. from yeah the lower angle. Um, but so okay, so whew, okay, I'm not. We're not going to go into graphic detail about this. We'll go very lightly. Um, but so we see Alex played by Monica Bellucci. Do you want to give some of her credits, Britt? Yes. So, uh, Monica Bellucci, absolutely uh, number one stunner. Um, so, she's one of her first roles was one of Dracula's brides in Bram Stoker's Dracula. But she ended up being Melina in the erotic comedy uh, drama Melina. 
uh, Persephone in The Matrix Reloaded mm-hmm. and Revolutions, and she also played Mary Magdalene in The Passion oh. of the Christ. So she was mm-hmm. married to Vincent during the filming of this movie. They met on the set of the 1996 film The Apartment, and they had two daughters together before separating in 2013. But she's also a great actress that yes. has crossed over because of The Matrix and The Passion she was into like as American. Well. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. She was the she's oldest gorgeous. Bond girl ever. Um which is so cool. And she played herself yeah, in an episode beautiful. of Twin Peaks on season three. And I can't remember I remember them mentioning her name, but I can't remember if she was actually in it or if they just used her photo. Um but so we see Alex. Alex is fucking gorgeous, by the way. I mean obviously she's a model. Um uh, the woman who uh, Monica's a model was a model before an actress. Um, mm-hmm. she's fucking gorgeous. She's wearing this amazing, like, metallic dress that just, like, it's beautiful. And it's, like, slinky, but she pulls it off mm-hmm. beautifully. And I say this because it doesn't seem, because we'll talk about some reviews where they're saying, like, why did she dress that way? Because she looks fucking awesome and she is having a good time, okay? Leave her alone. She looks gorgeous. She's walking down, uh, out of this party. We don't really know why she's leaving the party at this point. She's just leaving the party. She is tries to hail a taxi cab. There are none to be found. This woman next to her goes, oh, you should use the underpass. It's safer if you want to cross. And she says, okay. So she goes in an underpass, which luckily I, I would never go in an underpass. I don't like going through tunnels at night, like pedestrian tunnels, because I always think there's going to be somebody like popping out behind me because I'm paranoid. Um, but she goes in an underpass and, um, it's filthy for one thing because it's an underpass and, um, she sees a man and Concha walking through and he starts slamming Concha against the wall and instead of running, which is what I, like, she's freaking out. She starts screaming and I, I think she's trying to figure out, do I run or do I try to help this woman? Yeah. I don't think she has made up her mind, but the man, Tinya, turns around and sets aside on her instead of... And I can't blame Concha for running because she probably thought she was about to get murdered by him. And she's like, oh, this is my escape. But I'm also like, I think they did say, didn't Concha call the cops? Was she? I can't remember if that was a thing or not. She was a witness, because she was a witness. So I think she did actually go get help. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Latina is played by Joe Prestia. And he's oh, also cool. a boxer, right? So that's like his main thing? Is that... I do not I read that, but... reading that right? Yes, okay, oh. yeah, kickboxer. Yeah, he's a kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in Femme Fatale, 36 Precinct, and Elite Squad. Those are the only things I saw. He sets his sights on Alex, and she does attempt to flee. She does try to leave, but he gets a knife out, and oh, for the next seven minutes or so, attempt uh, forcibly rapes her anally on the ground. He says that, so that's how we know, because we're not going to say what he yeah. says. It's awful. Um, and then the part that yeah. got me the second time was he beats the shit out of her. I'm not trying to say that in... Like, a yeah. flippant way. But, like, he kicks her, he smashes her face on the ground repeatedly, and it's like, you already raped her. Brutally. So, like, not only is rape humiliating and awful and not okay, but it's also incredibly painful, and you can really hurt someone doing that. 
which is why consent is very important. And rapists are the scum of the earth. Anyways, it's awful. And it's really hard to sit through. And Gaspar Noé says that the reason that he did want to film it without cutting away was because it does happen. And I will... I will say, yeah, and I'm not trying to point out anybody in particular, but there are people from different generations that I have had conversations with who feel like it doesn't really happen to people they know. And personally, everyone yeah. I know, every female I know, and some men that I know have all been victims of abuse and, if not rape attempt i myself have someone did attempt to sexually assault me in college i was very lucky and i got away from it but i know so many people who have been sexually assaulted and i do think in some ways it does open up a conversation for how how like she 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 just crossed the street instead of went down a tunnel this wouldn't have happened and it's not her this isn't victim blaming it's just like you know, it is true that, like, and that's kind of the point of the movie is, like, one thing can change the whole trajectory of your day, of your life, and terrible things do happen to people who are yeah. good and aren't doing anything wrong, and it's not their fault, and what one bad thing can, like, lead to so many other bad things and time and, yeah. And <laughs> it's, that's it's what, not fun. That's what, yeah. that's what... Vincent uh, said a quote, which I uh, wrote down. So Vincent Cassell was uh, being interviewed, and he's like, you know, they're at, they asked him about the controversy behind this movie, and, you know, he said some of the point was that, you know, we can, humans can be animals, and people don't like to face that idea that we can be animalistic and violent. And he said, when you see violence in movies, it's very quick and painless, which isn't what it's like. This is what it's like. He's like, this is what yes. violence is really like. It's not quick. It's not painless. It's awful. And there's these lasting effects and implications from these moments of violence, which I get. I I understand completely, but it doesn't make it any less easier watching this. And I would not blame anybody for fast forwarding through this sequence. I don't think there's any structurally important to this sequence. But... I I felt like I had to sit through it to review it because I felt like it would be dishonest not to. Um, and I will say, you know, Roger Ebert really liked this movie, uh, which surprised. Well, I don't know. It didn't surprise. After I read his Eve's Bayou review, I was like, okay, I definitely <laughs> agree with him more than yeah. I thought I did. Um, but Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, which I would say is you know, a pretty good rating for him. And he said, and I yeah, quote, pretty good okay, I'm going to say the first part of his, which I agree with. And then Brit found more of this that I didn't write down, which is why we want to talk about this because, Oh, he's, he's so close to being there. He's so close. And again, this was 2002, yeah. but I'm still saying this way of thinking isn't great. But the first part I do agree with irreversible is a movie. So violent and cruel that most yeah. people will find it unwatchable. And then he goes on to say, the fact is, the reverse chronology makes irreversible a film that structurally argues against rape and violence, while ordinary chronology would lead us down a seductive narrative path toward a shocking, exploitative payoff. Which I agree with. 
And he says, by placing the ugliness at the beginning, no, Gaspar Noé forces us to think seriously about the sexual violence involved. The movie does not end with the rape as its climax and send us out of the theater as if it had been communic as if something had been communicated. It starts with it and asks us to sit there for another hour and process our thoughts. It is therefore moral at a structural level. Dot, dot, uh, onward, he says, irreversible is not pornography, which I do agree with that part. But Brit Brit found yeah. another quote from that review that I hadn't written down, and it makes it a little. Uh. Yeah, and I I agree with Roger Ebert with that respect too. Where it's like, okay, since it's put in reverse, we it gives us a lot to think about um, as we finish up mm-hmm. the second half of the movie. Um, and I usually agree with Roger Ebert on love love stuff. I mean, he's a very influential. Yes. He was a very influential film critic, and I I love him. But um, this really kind of irked me because he also says. Women should be able to dress... A woman should be able to dress as she pleases. And while that's true, that is not always wise. And he misses the mark. And, yeah. (laughs) And, um... And he is not the only male critic to have said something to this narrative. So, Elvis Mitchell, who wrote for, I believe, the New York Times, says... No woman would be so reckless to enter an area so murky no. that you could almost hear the mm-hmm. fluttering of bats. Mm-hmm. And he called he called the movie irresponsible. Mm-hmm. He called mm-hmm. the movie irresponsible because of this. Because mm-hmm. and once again, I'm uh, sorry, I'm upset now. So yes, Alex is in a very yeah, Alex is in a very beautiful, really villain dress. But this character, this 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 man would have raped her yes. even if she was in a turtleneck because. He is a rapist, and he is a brutal person. And what it all boils down to is that Alex was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Also, rape is not about sex. Rape is about power and control. Yeah. Now, I do want to point out, not not the positive of this scene, because this scene is awful, but Monica Bellucci's involvement. So Katie had told me many times, she was like, you know, Monica kind of directed this scene herself. And yes. I thought you could elaborate on that before I elaborated on some other stuff Monica said. Well, so he basically, they did choreograph this for quite a while mm-hmm. before it. And she does think that it's very, like, like, she does find that, yes, it is a violent movie. But what it's saying about the violence is definitely portraying it in a negative sense. And she agrees that, like, while she can't sit through this movie, she can't sit through the sequence anymore. She does agree with how it was produced and the message it's saying. Um, but... He let her and her scene partner determine how long it was going to be, determine what was going to happen, where, when it was, how it was, all that. Also, I, this is the other scene with CGI, which I found weird, but I guess it's just so nobody had to take out their genitalia. Um, you do see the assailant's penis at some point, like afterwards. And that was actually a CGI penis, so. Which, okay. I, don't, I was like, okay. I mean, that was probably the least shocking thing about this scene, but. Um, yeah. But I guess it maybe made them both feel more comfortable. Because I will say, like, the thing I feel the. This is going to sound ter- the Not the worst part, but one part that makes this scene so uncomfortable is that tunnel floor is disgusting. Yeah. And dirty. And, like, he rips the top part of her dress down. And he rips her underwear aside, so you can, like, half of her 
butt is, and her backside and her hips are like like touching that floor maybe it's a germaphobe in me but i'm like it's just insult to injury at this point i'm like like i don't know there's something like so awful about being raped like in a tunnel on the ground yeah and i'm but i mean again they both i I will say like it does seem like gasper does think about his actors and performers safety before anything else so that's and, good and i did want to point out so the other thing yeah. was in the one of the reviews or one of the interviews i was reading with vincent cassell was that they were asking about the rape scene and he was like monica didn't want me to be there so i was just off surfing like essentially is what he said and i think it speaks volumes that monica Bellucci was comfortable enough to be in this very vulnerable place with another actor and the director Mm-hmm. And then feel the need to have her husband on set. Because that's something I never even would have thought about if I wanted my husband on set during a rape scene or not. Um, but I wouldn't. Yeah. And I think. Personally, yeah. as an actor, I feel like. I don't know. Like, I feel like it makes it worse. Yeah. And have I think, your partner there? I think so, too. I think it could be, too. I think. But I, I think it says a lot for Gaspar that she felt comfortable and confident yes. that she could pull this off with him. So she has said in retrospect 20 years later, she's like, I've never been able to watch it. And now having daughters, I don't know if I would take this row. So she has said that. But she has also said, I did make the decision to play the movie by instinct and I don't regret it. It was the work of a great director and it's a film that's still being discussed. So even mm-hmm. all these years later, while she's like, I don't think I could do this again. Now having children of my own and daughters yeah. at that. Oh, yeah thunder mm-hmm. she has says hey i don't regret this one bit like i i yeah so i i think that also speaks volumes too yeah i think the interview i saw with her she was kind of like like right place right time for her mm-hmm. like at the time period she was like glad she did it but yeah, yeah i don't i agree with that but i do think the second half of the movie makes it more palatable because not not the scene but like yeah. Gives it more meaning because the next scene we see Alex, Marcus, and Pierre at this party, the party that Alex just left. And Alex is like super happy at first. Like she sees a friend and she's like, Oh, I haven't seen you forever. Let's talk. And she's like, Oh, it, this is a special night. I'm here with my man. And she's like, Oh, also, by the way, I don't know if this is a 2002 thing or a French thing, but she's like, My man. He's like, It's my girl. And I was like, Oh, oh. You, I, really I like did have those. to. Fun fact. What? Fun fact. And you probably read this too. I had to point this out. So there's a scene where Marcus is partying up and he goes up to two girls and they ask what his name is. And he says, Vincent. And he goes, Just kidding, it's Marcus. And it's because oh, he, God. he totally fucked up and said his real name, but he caught himself so quick that they were able to keep it in the film. But I it's just. fucking hilarious. I, I, it was so fucking funny. <laughs> Uh, again this movie's mostly improv so which is very well done improv i just Mm -hmm. gotta say um so uh she's like happy she's and her friend's like oh pierre and she's like no no i'm not with pierre i'm with marcus but pierre's there too so obviously she and pierre have been lovers in the past and um as she uh, marcus is like trying to get pierre laid um, with all these girls, but then he's also being really flirtatious for these women. It's clear he's drank to excess and problem, and he does some cocaine. I think it's cocaine. He sniffs something. 
he probably thinks it's cocaine. I don't know for sure if it's cocaine or not. Um, and he's, like, flirting with everyone. And, like, Pierre is, like, trying to restrain him and be like, hey, think of Alex. Like, she's off there dancing by herself. And then uh, I love Pierre and Alex's relationship. And it's very obvious that they both love each other very, very much. But for reasons, I guess, we find out in the scene before the next scene it didn't work out functionally but it's like if a couple puzzle pieces had come together like i feel like she would not be with marcus not to say that marcus does not love alex he does and alex does love marcus but it seems like a much more physical um obsessive kind of love and not a deep love like she and pierre seem to share and because Pierre, like, genuinely cares about her. But the other thing about Pierre is, like, he's like, oh, I'll just stand here and watch you dance. And she's like, why? And he's like, oh, it just reminds me of old times. She's like, oh, my God, don't hurt yourself. And he's like, oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> like, he's obviously still in love with Alex. Yeah. And it seems like it's been several months, if not, like, a year since they dated, but they haven't seen each other in six months. I do feel like she still cares about him deeply, though. Um, but it's almost like, like, it seems like she's, like, blind to Marcus's, oh, now the thunder's on my end. Ooh. Uh, it's moved. Um, it feels like she's putting up with a lot of Marcus's shit, and then, like, she seems annoyed with him. And I don't know if you've been in this situation, listening audience, but I know I've been in a situation where I've been to a party with a partner, and they have gotten way too under the influence and i've had to deal with their bullshit and it is embarrassing and it's like you love them but at some point it's just irresponsible to as an adult as a grown-ass person to get that over the top and like to your partner yeah like and she's getting fed up and i'm like i've been there girl so alex is getting frustrated with marcus marcus is being Crazy, Pierre's trying to get him to drink water and hydrate. He's being the, you know, dad of the group. And Alex is finally just, like, frustrated. And she's just like, okay, I'm I'm just going to yeah. leave. And it sucks because Pierre offers to go with her. He says, you need me. And she's like, no, Marcus needs you. You stay with Marcus. He goes, don't go. It's not safe. Don't go. And that kills me. And not only that, but you want, you want, you know, something else that's sad to think about, too. So she tells him to take care of Marcus, and the rest of the night, he tries to yep. take care of Marcus. Even after he finds out what happens to her. Yep. Because he was trying to do what Alex wanted. Yeah. Okay, so then we go to scene 11, which is actually my favorite scene. Because they are all, like, getting on the subway to go to the party and they're just having like this normal very natural conversation about life and sex and they get into this conversation while they're on the metro um about sex and like orgasming and like basically pierre and marcus are kind of joking with alex like oh the reason that you're with marcus is because he makes you come more often than me and Alex is getting very philosophical about orgasms, and she's very much like, you know, it's not, she's like, you need to be a little more selfish. She's like, it's like you focus too much on, I do think this is a good point, 
you focus too much on your partner being pleased, which isn't unimportant, but you don't relax because it's a it's like a task for you. But if you just relaxed, then like you would enjoy yourself and then you know, the other person would enjoy themselves because it's hard to, you know, have an orgasm when you can tell the other person isn't also having a good time. And I was like, I think that tracks. That definitely tracks for some people. But she also goes, like, then at the end of the conversation, she's like, I mean, he was like, but, I mean, you did more than a couple times. She's like, yes. She's like, yes, I did. Yes. And he's like, and we had some good times. And she's like, yeah. But it's just, like, it's awkward because Marcus is there, but he's almost like, the, I don't know, it's almost like Marcus is not yeah. an adult, and Pierre and Alex are, like, adults having a conversation, and Marcus is kind of, like, checking out and just says, like, funny things Oh, which so I did think it was funny, so uh, Pierre's just like, tell me, explain to me what he does differently, and Marcus t- says, he's like, you're too yeah. old, and Pierre goes, I'm only two years older than you, and he's like, oh, okay, like, sure, whatever you think, and I was laughing <laughs> because I looked it up, and Albert is actually only two years older than Vincent, so that is, <laughs> that yes. is right. Um, but I thought it was interesting at the very beginning of the scene, she's trying to actually talk to them about a book before they turn the conversation to sex. And so yes, she's like, I'm reading is... a book and it says the future is already written and the truth lies in premonitions and dreams. Which I think is an experiment mm-hmm. with time, which I have heard of that book, but I have not read it myself. Sorry. But she's like very like cerebral. And Pierre, I believe, is a professor yeah, cause he... or a linguist because he also speaks mm-hmm. Spanish to Concha in that scene. So I think he is a is a scholar yeah. of sorts. But she's like, you're so cerebral. Like, sometimes you just gotta feel stuff. Which, I, I think Alex is both right and wrong. Like, I do think that what she's saying is true. Like, if, you know, about sex. Like, sometimes you just have to enjoy things. It's sad, because, like, I feel like in every aspect other than sexual, they're probably very compatible yeah. for each other. Because she is also very cerebral. And he does talk about, like, we used to have such great conversations. And, like, you loved hearing me tell stories and blah, blah, blah. But, like, with Marcus, like, it's more of, like, well, she's very sexually compatible with Marcus. Not a whole lot else, though, yeah. I don't think. Um. So then, was there anything else about this scene? I like this scene. No. It's fun. Yeah, I did, too. I did, too. It's also a nice so, break the, from the misery. The next scene, the next scene kind of, like, uh, it's not, it's not overtly, like, unsettling, but it unsettles me. Because oh, really? of the things they talk about. Yeah, because of the things they talk about. Like, but you'll... There's a lot of foreshadowing, too. Yes. Um, yes. Which I caught the second time around. So, scene 12 is Alex and Marcus are, like, laying in bed. They've obviously just had sex, but they've, like, you know, they're post... 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 Codal. <laughs> post... coital Like, you know, sleepy time. So, they're, like, sleeping in bed, naked, and again, these people are married in real life at this time, so I'm like, that must have been, like, like... Both the most awkward and easiest love scene ever, because you're like, oh, I do this <laughs> on my regular day, but also I'm doing this in front of strangers, so that's weird. Um, but Pierre calls and says, hey, my car broke down, so we're going to have to take the subway to um, the party tonight, but I haven't, I'll haven't. I'll see you soon. I haven't, he says at some point that they haven't seen each other in six months, too, so... He's, yeah. like, very excited to see her. Also, if his car hadn't broke down, she would have had a ride home. So, that just hit me. Yeah. Uh, it, 
it it freaks me out because like she's laying on top of Marcus and he says he's like I can't feel my arm and I'm like uh, okay that's a little weird considering what happens to his arm and she's like I had a weird dream I was mm-hmm. in this red tunnel and it broke in two and you're like okay and mm-hmm. because right in the scene before she literally says I'm reading this book and the future is already written and the truth lies in premonitions and dreams mm-hmm. so she's already dreaming. About what's going to happen. And then it's. Which is really upsetting. It's upsetting. He also makes a flippant comment about he went to fuck her in the ass. And I was yes. like, oh no. Like, which yes. is just like, you know, something you say, but it makes the neck, the rape sequence even worse. Um, But it's, it's just but like a scene said- of them like having conversations, but there is something important kind of going on. In her mind, which makes everything worse. Do you want to say it? Yeah. Yeah, so she she talks about the tunnel dream, and she's like, but I think it's because my period's late. Yep. And he's like, just a couple days? And she's like, well, just a couple days. But, you know, she basically, she asked him, she's like, what would you do if I was pregnant? He's like, well, that'd be fun. So they're not, like, upset by the idea. Yeah, but also, it's a weird response. That'd be fun. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Like, again, yeah. I don't think Marcus is very serious about life yet. Yeah. I don't know. Which I guess is intriguing in one way. He almost sounds like a rebound, though, in my opinion. But then also it sounds like she, because she says, uh, Marcus is like, I have to be nice to Pierre, I know, tonight. And she's like, he's like, because I stole his girl. And she's like, you didn't steal anything. I am not an object. I'm a person. I made all the decisions myself. So it sounds like. She and Pierre were together when she met Marcus, and she broke up with Pierre to date Marcus. So, yeah. I wonder if this is a fleeting romance, or if it, if it actually is something substantial. I don't know. Maybe, because obviously Pierre has some hang-ups, so maybe she just couldn't reconcile with the hang-ups. Um, it is weird, because Marcus is, like, always trying to get Pierre laid. I wonder if it's because he's afraid that eventually Pierre and Alex will rekindle something if he doesn't get Pierre off to someone else because it's but i also like pierre is not threatening towards them either it's not like he's aggressively pursuing alex like he's being yeah. pretty respectful he just wants her to be happy um yeah. so anyways so they're talking and uh he's like oh shit i gotta get some wine which is not really important it's a lot of them just like walking around talking and then she goes to take a shower and then after he leaves she takes a pregnancy test, and oh my god, that's the quickest pregnancy test I've ever seen in my entire life. I was thinking that. I was thinking that too. I was like, "Whoa!" Like that was ten seconds. Um, but yeah, she pees on a stick, and then like literally two seconds later, she's like, "Oh!" And she's happy. She like holds. Her, she does like the the classic expectant mother, like, "Oh, let me just you know grab onto my uterus real quick and smile," which is cute, but it's very like it's very cliche in the movie world. They're like, "Oh." I'm like, do people really, tell me, people who have been pregnant, please tell me, like, did you just, like, grab your uterus and just be like, oh, hell yeah, awesome, make room for the, the baby, anyways, so, the but baby. it's cute, um, and she's, she's happy, and then, like, the next scene is very short, um, she's just laying on her bed, and there's a... 2001 a space odyssey poster with the tagline the ultimate trip which is a huge yeah. uh favorite movie of gaspar noe's also the ending sequence of that 
has a bunch of like yeah. he turns into the in, spoilers. I don't know if it's a spoiler because plot wise, it's not really a spoiler. It's more cerebral. He turns into the baby version of himself, so it goes backwards in time. So you know, I think it's a little bit of that. And then the last scene, which is the one that has the um, seizure, uh, yeah, the strobing, strobe, seizure inducing yeah. strobe. Like, thank you. Yeah. I was like, it's the seizure light. I don't know. Let's just call it that. Um, she's just laying on a blanket in a park. It's beautiful. There's like this lush green grass and there's all these like children and families playing around and she's reading an experiment with time by J.W. Dunn is the author. And in the background, you can hear Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, which is the first song that they play in Into the Void or Enter the Void. Mm -hmm. And it gets louder and louder. And then it, the camera spins counterclockwise while the sprinkler is spinning clockwise. Yeah. Okay. Um, because there's a sprinkler the kids are playing in, and then it like starts turning white and flashing, which is the strobe effect. But the cosmos is behind that white, so yeah, it's yeah. And then it ends, and it says, "Oh, we did." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I wrote it down in my notes too. The guy in the first scene says, "Time, time destroys everything." Um, and. Uh, that's what the, um, whatchamacallit, the... The title, the title, the title card, card at the end. Ah! Yeah. Yes. Because remember, it's Gaspar Noe, cause, so he's got to put the title sequences all out of order. So Yeah, and, time destroys all things. Yes. Which is sad, but also, I mean, technically it's true. Yeah. So, off topic, on topic, but I... <laughs> I so this is a little bit of a spoiler for uh if you hear our episode on climax you know this um but this is a little bit of a spoiler for I stand alone so I didn't realize that three Gaspar Noé films have violence against pregnant women cuz it's very interesting cuz there was a theory um there are some people arguing on the internet that the scene at the end of the movie because she's holding her belly on the bed it looks like you could actually visibly see the baby bump and some people are like, she actually survived, and she, and, like, the baby survived. And then people are like, no, 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 Gaspar would not let this baby survive. Like, this is, which is <laughs> awful, awful to say. I don't think he but hates I, pregnant women. I think it just makes no. more sense. I mean, I don't think it's purposeful. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, well, I think it is purposeful. But I think it makes them more vulnerable. And statistically, yes. were you about to say this? No, no, oh. I was about to say, I don't think, I don't think that he hates pregnant women. I just think it's, I think his movies have a nihilistic undertone yes. to them is what it's all about. And it just so happens the victims are pregnant. But also, so, statistically, a woman is most likely to be murdered while she's pregnant. You're... That's so fucked up. It is really fucked up. Um, but it's true that, um, yeah... You're most if you're going to be killed as a woman, it is most likely or a uterus bearing person, I should say, um, because we all know people who don't identify as women can also have a uterus. Um, you are most likely to be murdered while you're pregnant, and that's mostly because pregnancy is a very high stress situation for a lot of people. So it makes sense, but it's fucking terrifying because it's supposed to be a beautiful, wonderful time. And it is, yeah. like, there is a very high percentage of pregnant women and people <laughs> who are pregnant people. Sorry, I'm trying to say that because that yeah. is supposed to be what we're tr- saying now. But I'm sorry. Yeah. But pregnant but, people um, get murdered very often. There's a lot of true wait, crime stories about that. 
It's very sadly. sad, though, because it's very purposely that she, um, Alex is under the 2001 poster and it says the ultimate trip because she sees motherhood as the ultimate trip. Yeah. Which she, I think the, she and the baby might survive. We don't know. Yeah, She's we don't know. Comatose. We don't know. We don't. Yeah. But it is a very early on pregnancy, so, I mean, I don't, like, I don't know. I don't it's know. Hard. Yeah. It's very hard to say. Know. But also, yeah. I do like that the, I do agree with Roger Ebert, and I, I wrote this down before I read that review, like, I think the reason, the reason he told it the way he did was to highlight the fact that violence is wrong, and, yeah. You know, you have to think about how when violence happens to a person. Because think about how many reports of rape, assaults, burglaries, muggings that you hear about and you don't know about the people. We just had an attack in New York City, which thank God nobody died. Like, thank you, first responders and New Yorkers. And they did catch the person responsible. Like... All of those people have families. All of those people had a normal day up until that point. So, like, I do think that sometimes we read about these and people are nameless and victims are nameless. And we're just like, oh, that's sad. But no, this person had a family. They had hopes. They had dreams. They were going through their life and something terrible happened to them. And it's going to color the rest of their day and the rest of maybe their life that terrible thing that happened to them because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and maybe he's trying to undo the bad thing too by going backwards who knows maybe we're giving alex a new chance for a new day maybe something will go differently i don't really think that's what he's doing but i can pretend do you have any pros before i hit on my cons which are not a lot but well uh i i mean i i have to give it to gaspar he it's very original. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't seen anything like it. Um, as, you know, I, I jokingly, as I, you know, you mentioned pushing your glasses up. As an intellectual, I, I <laughs> get it. I I get it. Like, yes. I get what he's trying to say. Um, doesn't necessarily mean I like it. <laughs> Can't yes. say that I do. Um, yeah. But, once again, he is notorious. He doesn't care what people say about his movies. He makes his movies for himself. Yeah. So. I will say Climax is probably more of an enjoyable multiple watch because even though horrific, terrible things happen, it is so much of, like, a choreographed dance that it's... And there's music the whole time. So it is, like, interesting, and it's more of, like, watching a dance. It's like watching Swan Lake. Like, the ending's terrible, but, like, getting there is kind of a fun trip, Um, even though terrible things do happen. Um, it's not a fun movie, though. I'm not saying Climax is fun. I'm just saying, compared to this movie, like, also there is, like, explicit sexual content, like, violent sexual content in it, but it's not as violent as this one, and it's probably because everybody's under the influence, and therefore they're not really 100% sure what they're doing. It's more of, like, weird circumstances than coercion. In, although it's been a couple years since I watched it, so might rewatch it and disagree. Um, yeah, I agree. I I do think this film is really hard to watch. Um, I, again, if you really love movies and you especially love French extremism, I think it's something you probably should watch if you want to have a well-rounded view of that uh, genre of cinema. And I I still question. 
even though he's responsible with his actor's feelings, I worry about him doing so much drugs while he's filming. I'm more he did have a brain hemorrhage a couple years ago. But she survived, but it was a near-death experience, which is apparently what Vortex is based on. But I do worry about him doing coke just to film. Like, maybe don't do that. Yeah, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You're an adult, but I like your movies, I think. I don't know. They're terrifying to get through, but they are really well made. I still question the responsibility of, like, the homophobic slurs and the racial slurs and the, the, the transphobic stuff. Like, I do, like, I feel like that is more questionable to me than the rape sequence, because his intention with the rape sequence is so much clearer. The other stuff, I'm not really sure what the intention was, and I don't think he knew what the intention was. But yeah, that's, that's my cons. Yeah. Um, do, do you have an out of ten rating for this movie? I, I, it was a very, very hard one for me to rate. Um, I gave it a seven. Okay. Uh, it, like I said, I there's a lot of things I appreciate about this movie. Doesn't mean I like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does mean, as a person who loves film, um, I think it's very interesting. It is very controversial. There's no denying that. Um, like I said. It, I I agree with you. I watched the rape scene all the way through. I felt like as a person who was reviewing this movie and doing an in-depth talk to, about it, it was owed for me to do that. I did fast forward for the majority of it the second time I was watching it because I did not feel it was something necessary for me to watch a second time. Um, and I feel once again, there's that there's an issue. It's It's a great conversational piece. It is. But there's not if there's not a real big watchability factor there. Yeah. I I would say the only people who probably rewatch this film are people who want to talk about it and review it. I can't see yeah. someone just watching it for pleasure. But I think it's an important film in the grand yeah. scheme of filmmaking and especially French films and horror and thrillers. Did you have any ratings? Grindhouse Crawl ratings. I did have one rating, and it was uh, rated C for chaotic camera angles and cocaine. Okay. Very (laughs) Gaspar themed. Uh, Mine were more about the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. I had rated U for underpasses and unruly X's. But then my favorite was terrible. Rated T for time tapeworms, and tunnels. Yeah, I like rated T. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. It's got all the hot points. I almost said yep. ten years, and then I was like, no one's going to know what that means. So that's irreversible. Irreversible. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, y'all. I really... Even though I'd watched it one, I really did not know exactly what I was getting myself into. I still, I'm glad I've seen it for the experience. Yeah. But it's not a fun watch, and I'm... Again, I'm not mad if someone is like, I don't want to watch this. Um, and, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad I've watched it because I feel like I can have a educated conversation on it. An intellectual um, one. Yes. So, I mean, because I'm sure 
you talk about movies enough with enough people, it's going to come up again. So <laughs> Also, I'm curious how many people can get through Irreversible, because I know at least a couple movie critics are like, I couldn't get through the first scene. And I'm like, really? I mean, it is violent, you know but that was the least shocking scene to me, was the fire as a, signature. As a closing argument, I will say, as of right now, I have never walked out of a movie, and there's never been a movie I haven't been able to sit through. So I don't know if that will change as I get older, but as of right now, any movie I've decided to watch, I have been able to sit for the entire thing. Yeah, I sat through all of Dogtooth, but I couldn't watch it a second time. We are, uh, I know we're getting kind of late. Yes, we are. It is time. We're going to definitely, we are definitely, uh, we're going to introduce. It's time. Next week is actually a guest episode. (gasps) Oh my god. Yeah, and we are doing a independent film. So we were reached out to by um, Vega, and uh, Vega has just released the movie The Hurt We Share. He wrote and directed it. Uh, his name is Vega Montanas, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing uh, Montanas, but it looks like Montanas. Um, so Vega has wrote The Hurt We Shared, wrote and directed, and is currently streaming on Tubi. So we will be watching the movie The Heart We Share, and then we will be interviewing and discussing it with him next week. Yes, I'm excited. We love filmmaker episodes, so we'll have we'll probably won't go into spoilers because that's really up to him. That's yeah. up to the filmmaker. So with that, I guess we need to say good night. Watch yes. watch next week's movie on Tubi. With that. I think I said a lot of my stuff up front. Gay, 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 gay. Slava Ukraine. We actually do have at least one Ukrainian listener that has listened a Yay. couple times the last couple of weeks. So, um, I'm sorry what's happening in your country, and I hate it, and we're with you. Um, so I hope the world gets more peaceful. I hope COVID stays at bay. I know China is trying to keep another surge from getting out again, but. Just remember, if the numbers tick back up in your area, start wearing your mask again. And if you are eligible for another booster, please kindly get it. Um, be safe. Be kind to everybody. Take care of your fur babies. Um, vote in your local elections. And do your research before you vote. Please, for the love of God, vote. Because if the majority of the population doesn't vote then we're not really being represented accurately. To quote Kim Kardashian, get off your ass and vote. Nobody's voting these days. I know we all see the big picture, but start small. You know, volunteer, give to charity when you can, and be good to one another. But anyways, okay, but I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of the extra listens. Like, for the piano teacher episode went wild. So thank you for all of the extra listens. Um, and thank you to the creators of Ted and Guy for reaching out for We Are Still Here. You guys are both welcome to come onto the podcast at any point. And if you guys have any suggestions, don't forget to like, like comment, subscribe, and rate the podcast if you can and just you know let us know if there's anything you guys feel and give us feedback on this episode because again sometimes we're coming from a place where we are not from the area that the movie covers and we don't know what we're talking about so if we ever do anything incorrect please correct us 
we are open and we love you guys and we wouldn't be here without you so thank you so much for listening we love you guys stay safe oh take your vitamins and wash your hands sorry oh yeah uh katie katie (laughs) talked a lot about like the uh political aspect of things and um the worldly aspect of things say no no you're good and i thought she did a good job with that so i'm not going to elaborate as much um because i've also kind of hit my brick wall i do that usually right around 11 Uh, (laughs) that's why i'm like like, i've hit it (laughs) no it's okay um but yeah guys uh thank you so much for each and every one of you we love you we appreciate you thank you for spreading the word uh i've seen a lot of friendly new faces and followers and that was been a really pleasant experience uh, once again if you do film if you know someone who does movies have them have their people reach our people which is basically me and katie um mm-hmm. to talk about these things with because we love having guests and we love talking about movies that's our bread and butter that's what we do um so yeah and if you're just a listener and you're like oh i don't want to talk please we love to hear you talk dm us talk to us we want love to have it. you on here um so guys uh self-care is very important take your nap if you need a nap uh say no sometimes it's so important to say no it's so hard to say no i'm that person that struggles with using the no word but sometimes for your own peace of mind you just have to tell people no whether it's going to a party whether it's pushing off dinner it's better to say no than just to leave someone hanging anyway um, True. So yeah, if you need to say no this week, please know that that's okay to do for your own mental being. Um, I hope you take a nice bath. Uh, I hope you listen to your favorite song, watch your comfort movie. Um, we love you. We are so grateful you're here with us. And thank you for letting us be a small part of your journey today. Yes. Uh, drink your water, you beautiful dehydrated bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, do it right now. Um, and with that that's being nice. said... Thank you, uh, as Katie drinks her water. Uh, and with that being said, uh, we just look forward to seeing you next time. Um, same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Yes, stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.